Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Welcome, everyone, to the final HF Pod on Tour of Summer 2021. I can't believe we made it. The technology worked. Our guests showed up. 
We had a great, great summer talking through fish here every day at one o'clock Eastern. Thank you so much for every one of you who has hung out with us, who has listened, who has commented, who has followed along. It's been so awesome. Um, I am coming off of, as you can probably tell by my voice, which is reduced by about 45% right now, a three night fish run, uh, an incredible Sunday fish show that I'm really excited to talk about. And, um, you know, just overall, just kind of beaming from this whole summer tour. Uh, my name is Brian Brinkman. I'm uh, part of Osiris Media. I'm going to bring on screen here in a second my co-host, Jonathan Hart, who uh, we've been doing these weekly breakdowns, which have been so much fun. Um, we're going to actually turn today's episode, today's live episode, into uh, tomorrow's podcast as well. So uh, listen here. You can also listen tomorrow when we post this on the feed. We're going to do a big breakdown of the last week in fish, shoreline, dicks, uh, the final show of the tour, kind of where it all falls in the larger tour. What does it all mean? All those big, heady questions as we go into this. Um, before we do that, though, really quickly, I just want to give a huge shout out to our presenting sponsor, Shift Genuine Cannabis. They've been with us since the start of this tour. They've been absolutely amazing. Uh, we want to thank everyone at Shift Genuine Cannabis and thank all of you who came out to the Shift tent yesterday to see the live show that we did with Tom. Scott Marks was there. Trey's Guitar Rig was there. Benji Eisen was there. We had the Dude of Life, Mandy Greenberg playing some music. It was a super fun time. It was great to meet a bunch of people um, right outside of Dick's right before the show. Um, we're going to announce it here in a second, but we did announce yesterday the winner of the um, Fish Vegas contest. So two tickets to Fish's October 30th and 31st shows in Las Vegas, plus 500 bucks towards airfare and uh, hotel accommodations. Pretty, pretty awesome. So we're going to announce that here in a second. We're also got, we have, we have a ton of stuff that's going to be happening with Shift between now and the end of October when Fish concludes their fall tour. So keep an eye out for everything that we've got going on with them. I hope some of you out there as well were able to go to Golden Meds and pick up some fantastic uh, bits of the Osiris stream uh, because that was really, really awesome and uh, really enjoyed that. Um, also want to give a shout out here to our media partner, Jambase. Jambase has been amazing for us. Thank you so much for all that you do to help support Osiris and help support everything that we do here. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to bring Jonathan on right now. Jonathan. Hey, Brian. How are you, my man? Uh, probably more rested than you, although <laughs> I was up pretty late watching some concerts this weekend. That East Coast webcast time for dicks, it's its deceiving. You think that it's going to be easier than webcasting a West Coast show, which it is, but it's still really hard. I don't feel like the show starts until like 9 or 10 o'clock anyway. Right. It's its marginal. I actually grabbed a power, power nap before the show last night. Um, so That's smart. Totally unintentional, and it made me worried I wouldn't make it through the whole thing. <laughs> but I, I did, and uh, it was worth it. I have memories of um, the Dicks run in 2015. I, I webcasted it all from Maryland, and I made it through night one, night two, totally fine. Night three, I loved this for the, the first set. Second set was, was great. The disease was amazing. And then I fell asleep, and I wake up, and Trey's singing Harpoo, and I'm like, what is going on? I look at the time, and I'm like <laughs> starting to scroll through Twitter, and everyone is freaking out, and rightly so. And so I had to go back and listen to that show, but that was the famous thank you encore that I somehow woke up in, and it was 
was it was it was bizarre. Well, you know that's a risk we take, uh, and it is yeah. It's just late night gorge. Gorge almost killed me, so I did not stay up for shoreline, and uh, I missed some stuff. But uh, what are you gonna do? Uh, I got up, listened to them all first thing in the morning, and uh, yeah, and here we are. We've made it through the tour somehow. Um, fish made it. I think that we we should before we jump into like the larger content. Hat tip to fish. What a incredibly unprecedented tour that they were able to successfully navigate. Uh, massive pandemic where cases are rising around the country. Uh, fish seem to be able to keep things incredibly safe uh, in, in, in their behalf and, and able to keep the tour moving along. And then wildfires divert one show to another venue. They make as many lem- as many glasses of lemonade as you could ever want out of those lemons. And uh, here they get to look back and take a break for, for about seven weeks. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I feel like they could have kept going. I, I feel like they were ready. Um... I, I personally could use a few solid nights sleep, but they're <laughs> they're really on it. Um, yeah, just really amazing tour, particularly coming off of such a long break. I know we talked about it at the beginning, but looking back over the whole thing, it's just been really stunning. Yeah, yeah, it's been a really stunning like like. The rise, I feel like, happened really quickly. Like, very quickly, we went from the start of tour to, like, mid-tour. It took, like, three shows. Sometimes it takes about a week for them to get settled. And I think we'll talk about this in our next episode where we take, like, a 10,000-foot view back on what the tour was in full. But I think, uh, you know, from where we're standing right now, I completely agree with you. They've, They've sounded really strong. And, you know, I don't want to get too much ahead of myself, but I was thinking last night as they're closing the tour and as they have a fall tour looming, this may be the strongest fish that we've heard that has a fall tour since 1998. That's uh, that's a bold move there, Cotton. I'm going to, I'm going to wait and see how that plays out. <laughs> I appreciate you waiting and seeing. I, I am making the bold move. <laughs> um, no, um, no, I, I think you're onto something. We've had a few summer tours in recent years where we're like, ah, oh, God, why aren't they playing fall? Right. Now? You know, and so, yeah, here it comes. Yeah, it kind of gives up. you like the mindset of, you know, what what does fish 2015 or fish coming off of the Baker's Dozen sound with a fall tour where they're playing at such a high peak and then you have this break until New Year's. And that break, you know, sometimes it's a good thing because it just allows you to really appreciate that summer tour as like this strong, strong segment or strong, you know, statement from the band. But other times like this tour, I think it's just gonna be really cool to see how they take these sounds that they've been playing with and add it into the fall, which tends to create a bit darker jams, tends to create set lists that, you know, are, are dreams on paper um, and then leads up to this Halloween that will usually have a massive a massive impact on the band's uh performance overall there's no question that back in the 90s when they were playing exhaustive schedules and long summer tours and then coming back out and doing a fall tour those are some of the best some of the best tours yeah so um you know now they're doing it a little less exhaustively but hopefully they're enjoying it as much uh 
Uh, I know we are. I am very much. And speaking of fall tour and speaking of Halloween and all these things, um, we do need to announce, I said this at the top, we do need to announce the winner of the Shift Genuine Cannabis uh, contest to send a fan and a friend to Las Vegas on October 30th and 31st. John, do you want to reveal the winner? Or do you want me to? How do you want to do this? Well, it's a little awkward because the winner is, um, let me look it up here. His name is Jonathan Hart. <laughs> no, obviously it's not me. I didn't enter. That would have been weird. Yeah. That would have been weird. But yeah, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to announce the winner. Yes. The winner is Charles Weaver. And Charles, uh, I hope we can say hi in Vegas because I'll be there and looks like you will too. Absolutely. So thank you to Shift Genuine Cannabis for this uh great prize and helping make this podcast happen and congratulations to Charles. Absolutely. Yeah, Charles, we will be in touch with you. Um, I'm, I'm sure that you've been alerted at this point over the socials, but if not, we'll be in touch with you here in the next uh, couple of days to get everything set up for you. Really, really amazing. I would, the idea of winning tickets to a fish show and then on top of that winning like the lodging and the the travel to get there so that you literally just have to show up that's a dream of mine so so i'm i'm incredibly jealous of charles and thank you to everyone out there who entered the contest really appreciate all the enthusiasm that we got around this and just really excited uh you know the the work that we've been doing with shift uh, going forward is going to be awesome i look forward to hearing more about that myself absolutely <laughs> So let's, uh, let's jump into this. Um, so like I said at the top here, we're going to do a bit of a recap of the last week as we've been doing on the weekly shows. We'll definitely dig into night three of dicks because night three of dicks was a really, really fun, really good show. Um, John, what happened at Shoreline? Yes. Uh, you know, fish came to play. I think they understood the complications and disappointment around moving the shows. They they like Shoreline as a venue. Um, the broader Bay Area, it's not really in San Francisco, but it is sort of the, the shed adjacent there too. And they were already pretty well warmed up after the gorge. So they showed up. They, you know, opened with a little bit of a message with Glide, um, Forbin's good little microjam and Wolfman's. I mean, just beautiful sets, beautiful sets, beautiful playing. Um, possibly my favorite stash in in a long time, and that's saying something yeah. considering I think before that night my favorite stash was earlier in the tour. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like great, great first set out of the gate. And, um, wow. Uh, you should talk about first set before we get into the second set, because I will never looking back once we get. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I agree with what you said. Like, I felt like the, when, when they came out and Fishman started doing that, like my heart kind of just like leapt up a little bit. And I felt just like those warm vibes of like glide is one of those songs that, um, you listen to any, you know, 92, 93, 94 show. It's there. It feels like early 90s fish in this kind of quirky, slightly emotional, but still kind of like jokey type of manner. And then obviously the Coventry version is so legendary because it was not played well, but it was also a sign of the emotional weight of that show and of that moment. And I've always tried to look at it more in that perspective than just like the 
train wreck of the performance. And I feel like since then, every time they play it, they seem to play it in a show where they want to say like, we're really feeling it tonight. And we really feel this connection to you all. We're glad that you're alive. We're glad that you are here with us. And so playing it there coming off of the post or the cancellation in Tahoe just felt like a message. Colonel Forbin's famous mockingbird, obviously that adds to it. Um, I thought I never needed you like this before. I had a really great, um, uh, solo segment to end it. And I really liked the, uh, the God of Jabu and the moon age daydream to, to close out the set. I think it just was really well paced, really good song selection, had enough, you know, craziness up top, but then throughout, no matter what they played, they just played really, really well. Yeah, yet another just great set. And then and then Soul Planet. And I think my favorite thing, aside from the music, the performance of this big jam, uh, my favorite part about this Soul Planet is looking at Twitter and people who were like, ugh, Soul Planet opener. Because, you know, it's not a favorite. It's not broadly a favorite song. Uh, and those people, man, they, um, they had to eat those words. They did. And, you know. That's what you get for making a snap judgment, I guess. Uh, because man, holy crap, this was a monumental performance. I mean, it's what is it, the third longest jam? Third longest jam One in of fish the history. longest jams of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah you have the uh, War, uh, Worcester 97 runaway jam 1129, uh, the Mud Island 20 or Mud Island 95 tweezer that was 50 minutes. Runaway Jim was 59. This was 47 minutes. And it was like, you know, with, with these like long jams, there's certainly like a moment where it sounds like, or multiple moments where it sounds like, okay, this jam could probably wind down and end here. And then they find another riff and they build off of that. And this definitely had that. But like one thing that really impressed me by it was that it didn't have, it didn't feel like they were trying to stack another segment on just to add three minutes. It felt like everything flowed really well. And we were talking to um, Scott Marks yesterday uh, at the, at the live show that we did on the lot. And he mentioned how Fishman just takes over after 30 minutes. And like, how cool is it that you go 30 minutes into a jam and then Fishman takes over and suddenly the jam builds for another 17 minutes I mean, it's just incredible. And I, I've listened to right. it multiple times since. It it flows really well. It's up there with some of the best jams that they've ever played, I felt like. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a question that you... The fish answers very well, but you kind of have to ask when you go into something like this. This is a 47-minute song. Leave aside which song it is, right? Because it's obviously like four minutes of <laughs> Soul Planet. And then it, is it worth it? Yes, the answer is yes. They 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 make every bit of it count, yeah. and and then a beautiful transition into the final hurrah, yeah. which is you know a great song, and just coming out of all of that as uh, it's just a perfect landing. Yeah, it's one of those. Uh, I love a surprise segue out of a really long jam. No matter how long the jam is, you know, having the ability to end up in a song that nobody anticipated ending up in is just like such a surprise fun moment. And the final hurrah just proved to be, they were in that groove, they go into the song and then they kind of added an extended jam onto that. Cause why not? They're feeling it at that point in time. Um, 
And I just, I'm a huge proponent of them continuing to develop these Casual Vox songs. I really enjoy them. I enjoy where they've taken these songs over the last uh, couple of years and, and seeing them in those slots rather than just standalone in the first set is really cool. Yeah, they've they've begun to find new homes throughout the show. And <laughs> yeah. And I dig them. Uh, theme. Uh, uh, we have to mention the Exilla Part 2 bust out. I mean, that's got to be one of the bigger bust outs in a long time. 855 shows. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if, uh, if, if at what? this point in the show you think that they've played just, you know, a good show with some bust outs and some fun stuff in the start of the show, massive jam in set two, playing Axilla Part 2, which is a song, I think... You have been wanting for a while. I have been wanting for a while. I, I figured you you already know the music. Why not just throw the lyrics on? You will blow your 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 uh, entire fan base's minds if you just like play it randomly. To throw it there at this point in time, follow it with tw- with Tila and a fantastic hood, just puts a stamp on the entire show. Absolutely incredible. I will say, I watching the Soul Planet video because of course it was a set two opener, so the youtube video of the opener was still online the next morning and they uh you could see in the moments before the the set started Rody came out and put a sheet up against one of the monitors in front of trey and you know if i had been watching the show live i would have puzzled and gone you know i've seen them put lyric sheets out before right and they don't bust anything out but knowing what had happened i have to assume that they put the axilla lyrics out there in front of him with so he had some intent like i think we'll probably go there and uh yeah you could see trey looking down during the video um you know and he stumbled a couple of times on the lyrics because i think you know the the way that those lyrics are matched up to the music it flows a little bit differently than axilla one but I, i think overall you know they even added the sometimes they'll bust out a song and like, you know, they'll give you 95% of the song, but not like these little gems that make it count and make it really special. Right. And they gave us that like, don't shine that thing in my face, man. Like in the, in the, in the outro. And it just, it, it, that song sounds like 94, 95 fish to me. And I, I, I love hearing it, you know, thrown into a set that already is legendary at that point in time. And, and you mentioned 94, 95 fish. Uh, let's think about this. So we have the axilla two. Tila into Harry Hood, and then the encore is Fee and Wilson. Like that is classic nineties ninety four. That's a really that good is point. The kind of fish I used to see when I started seeing fish. So yeah, yeah, I definitely it's kind of a great little run. I didn't connect that, but then you add on like on a nearly fifty minute jam, and it feels like them tapping back into this mid nineties glory period for like just an evening. But like I'll I'll take it just you know once every couple of years type of thing if they, if they're if we're lucky. Yeah, you will. You'll take it. You'll like it. You'll make a podcast about it. <laughs> we'll just keep talking about it. And we could spend, you know, really the rest of the of, of the time here talking about this, but we should move on to uh, to night two. We got more. We got more. We got a lot more, which, uh, <clears throat> you know, a night after a show like that is almost like a dreaded endeavor because how do you match a show like that? And it kind of, you know, it resets your expectations of, okay, just a fish show is a really good thing, but... What did they do last night? And I feel like we really got the 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 solidification of how strong the shoreline run was, almost from note one here with uh, with the right. with the Mike song opener. Like I, it's, I mean, 
they could have played I Am Hydrogen. I just, I want to put that out there. <laughs> you're, but, you're always for it. <laughs> well, I'm always for always. it. But they didn't, and I think they did a, just a fine job in spite of that uh, that uh, misstep. It's not a misstep, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It, it's, a, it's a great Mike's groove. Uh, Mike's song is really fun and gets heavy. Uh, doesn't, you know, draw out maybe, you know, the way we all dream, but uh, slides maybe drops drops is probably the correct term yeah. into the man who stepped into yesterday alvenu they don't reprise the man who steps into yesterday no. though which is uncommon yeah. uh and a great groove uh mike's groove, uh wikipog groove excuse me uh to cap it uh just a lot of fun really just powerhouse opener and also again very early mid 90s in the uh track listing there yeah yeah i mean it almost feels like Man who stepped in yesterday like could be an alternative slot in there for hydrogen. I'm kind of surprised they didn't do that more often in the '90s. Yeah. Um, but I really, I really enjoyed it. it. It kept like the, you know, game hengy vibe of whatever they were doing at at Shoreline, where you had Tila, you had Forbins. Now you've got the man who stepped into yesterday. It, it had this very old school feel from the very start of the show, and just knowing a few people who were there, everyone who I knew was at. Who, who, who was at Shoreline are in the like 100 to 200 show range where they've, they've seen so many shows and have seen so many historic shows that it kind of felt in a lot of cases like Fish was playing to an old school audience in a lot of ways. I and mean, we're really treating them to, hey, you've all have been inconvenienced by this, but also this fan base here in San Francisco and people who travel to San Francisco are a very specific crowd and we want to reward you in a lot of ways. Um, the set then continued and just looking at it on paper, like I'm remembering how much I enjoyed this, uh, during the webcast, Brian and Robert is one of my favorite songs. Um, I absolutely love that. It was the first fish song I heard, uh, thread. I'm just thrilled to continue to see that be developed. Uh, the wedge is a really solid slot right there, but then we get the first cities of 4.0 that turns into an incredible jam that as I'm sitting here on Monday, I have not listened back to the cities and I'm now remember, I'm now realizing how much music I need to listen back to over the last five days. Cause it's just been incredible. <laughs> it's been so much, so much. Um, I, I, I want to quickly say, I really enjoy the thread. Uh, that song is cool. This yeah. version is cool and keep playing it. Uh, and really I'm waiting for the, Kind of like we've said with uh, twenty years later, which you know comes up again later this show. I I I want the back end of that song to just go, yeah, like go and go out. Yes, uh, but uh, instead we uh, the cities goes and it it's you know it's not super long, but it's just great. Uh, I tweeted a lot about the cities the next day. Um, it it really made my day. Uh, it's just it's a outstanding jam. Yeah. And this is this is what we listen to fish for because it's also not quite like the other jams, right? Which is, I, I mean, how how is it that this band is kicking down fifteen to fifty minute jams, you know, night after night after night, and they're not all repetitive, they're not all same samey, they they're finding new pockets to live in. It's such a how is that how is that possible? So it's an incredibly good point. I will I will answer your question by saying I don't know. 
like it, it blows my mind. Like, Why not, Brian? Right, but like it blows my mind, you know. Like and and it brings up like like my theory is essentially these guys have been playing consistently together for now almost fifteen years. Again, uh, they have got a system down where they play just enough shows. They I think have reached the point. You know, when they came back in '09. <clears throat> there was this sense of we want fish to be a part of our lives, not to be the dominant creative output in our lives. I almost feel like they're at a point now where fish is once again, the dominant creative output in their lives and the outlet in their lives. Like, I don't know what, if those guys are feeling the same way on stage that we're feeling listening to these jams, they have to be thinking to themselves, like this is some of the best that we've ever played together as a quartet. Um, but I agree yeah. with you fully. I was thinking about that and we'll, we'll get into it here as we talk about the Dick shows. Every single jam from the moment that they left whatever song they were playing to the moment that they were in free form improvisation, they were in a completely different musical space than they had been in the song before that they did that. And that's a really rare thing. Even if you go back to the nineties or to 2.0, there's like a thematic thread from a song to the jam that they kind of then had to break out of. And now they just, they're in open improvisation within, you know, the first measure of whatever they're trying to do. Yeah. They, they can just step right across that threshold yeah, and at will. And some, some people have in recent years bemoaned the fact that, well, it seems like they could just do it at any time. Why don't they? Well, I think they're really giving us the balance yeah. now. They're, they're like, you know, we've got all these great songs. We're going to play them. Uh, any one of them might have a jam. The ones you expect to have a jam really might have a jam, but maybe not. <laughs> right. Maybe not. Um, uh, nice landing out of that cities into passing through. Yeah. Uh, Fluffhead uh, to wrap a set, a oh, great closer. And then um, Lizards open set two. How great is that? First ever it's Lizard set uncommon. two opener. Incredible. There you go. Just God, goddamn glorious, this yeah. band sometimes. Yeah. Um, tweezer. Uh, you know, so they start playing Tweezer. What are your thoughts? You're thinking, okay, we'll get a 16-minute Tweezer. You know, there's no way they're going for it like they did last night. Yeah, it kind of goes back to like what you were saying of like, how is it possible that this band is playing this much improvisation and being creative? I kind of figured you play a 50-minute jam, you're kind of out of some ideas. And I think to, to Fish's testament, they seem to know when to cut a jam off that like either we're in a space that's not challenging us or we're in like an area that's like repetitive of something else that we did. And they just want to get out of that as quickly as possible. And you would assume that, you know, tweezer for as many great jams as, you know, come out of tweezer throughout the years that there are those like 12 to 16 minute tweezers where it's good, but it's not great. And this one was great all the way through. This one featured Trey on lead in a really defined way and then moved into a bizarre Deer Creek Simples type of segment and then went back to Bliss. It was just, it was wild to, to, to listen to it. Uh, and then they land in, in Miss You, I think a nice transition into a really strong version of this beautiful song. Okay. I know you've talked a lot uh, 
through this tour about the ballads yeah. and I, I got your back on that and it's <laughs> this one in particular is such a great great song that has at times not quite come off over the years yeah um i feel like the the pacing of this song is it's very precarious yeah uh, I feel like this one was done well. Trace solo, it, there's, he has a short solo in the middle of it there that is just uh, really just gets right to it. It's a short one, and it's but it's beautiful and uh, good version. I think, and then an, and then just just to jump off that really quickly, I think you know um, there's something to be said about the way that they played the ballads this summer. Is they're playing with. Their their playing is very delicate right now, and it's very nimble. And I think it it it, it caters to these ballads that are slower but have this groove that needs to be maintained. And like Miss You has that kind of like plodding groove throughout the song that if they're not synced up, it sounds kind of all over the place. And I think the way that they're playing right now just caters to a song like that where they can leave space in between the notes. But when Trey hits those chords and the the you know the slide up it just it works perfectly really does and they uh they maintain that kind of the quiet end of the dynamics and i think that is a the thing we need to come back to maybe when we recap the entire tour next week or something is talk about dynamics because they've got the kind of control over that that well i mean they've been always been pretty good at it but they're demonstrating mastery level and uh and you hear it with piper they it i don't know does this count as a slow build it's slower than some slower than anything they did last year or the year well 2019 or the year before or what have you um it is uh it's a nice little piper i, I wonder if it's one of those things that's time like with my daughter piper <laughs> oh man i love that I wonder if it's one yeah. of those moments that um, Trey, like word has gotten to Trey that, hey, you know, you used to take two minutes to get into this song and now you just go right for the chords. And I wonder if it's one of those things where he listened back and said, oh, yeah, we we used to do that. Let's bring that back. And it's it's definitely not like a 1998 level slow build where it takes, you know, an extended period in time and like it's such a payoff, but they're getting there. They're 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 embracing how well they play quietly right now and uh and that's helping out immensely. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And and then we get uh 20 years later, which is I love that song. So very cool. Same. Um and I feel like the twist is, I don't want to say throwaway, but the twist kind of doesn't really go, but they're, you know, I'm okay with it. They seem okay with it. And a big number line to close out the set. Um, you know, congratulations. Y'all got, y'all got number lined and it's a great song. And <laughs> I hope you loved it. Likewise. Yeah, no, it's a fun, it's, it's yeah. a good closing to the set that kind of serves a purpose more than like, I, I don't really know what else they needed to do at that point is kind of, is, was the feeling I had. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this set delivered and they closed it. Life Beyond the Dream. I think that's a pretty clear message there. And Tweezer reprised to send everybody trucking to Colorado. And so we arrived in Colorado for Friday night show, September 3rd, 2021. Interesting first night. Tell me from the couch 
how did this sound for you? Um, and we can kind of go back and forth of from the couch versus versus in the venue. Yeah, I think this will there'll be some interest potential for interesting contrasts. Um, I first of all, overall like the show. So you know, I don't know what kind of controversy you're hoping to raise here, but I was kind of incautiously anticipating them to come roaring out of the gates, which, as I've always said, that's you know unwise. You don't want to have expectations, and you will because uh, th- they'll get you. Um, so for a moment, I was like, okay, okay, standard 46 days, okay, party time. They're here to throw down. They're going to have a good time. We're going to get some songs. It's going to be a very first city, first set, maybe. Um, but then they played Timber, and you could hear they were, like, riding the line. Totally. Like, that Timber was, like, oh, this close to just, I, I, it's, I forget that I'm on video. I can actually do something <laughs> like this. This never comes off on the, the audio podcast. You know, hold my fingers so close together. <laughs> this close to busting into something uh but they don't and they they you know get a little bit of expansive without busting out and you get the genie's there in the bottle and the cork is just ready to blow um a solid foam let me just say this is it was a second one of tour is like outstanding I, I, I we're talking like a song that trey has struggled with yes you know this is an ob- objective position of you know accurate performance totally. and trey really got there on this one and uh i was i was astounded i was like wow yes um and then vultures cool pebbles real cool karini holy cow here we go now it's on yeah so brian um you were there you had the exact same experience right I, I had actually a very similar experience to you. I, I felt I felt like I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I so this is my fifth Dicks run, and in years past, I've seen I saw 2012, and then I've seen everything since 2017. And the Friday night of 2012, 17, and 18, I left all three of those shows, and especially the first sets, just completely exhausted. They just it was as if they stepped on that stage. And the, the vibe and the energy just overtook them and they played just such a monumentally brilliant show that they almost couldn't make up for it for the remainder of the weekend. There was no way to reach that level again. And I went in assuming, not expecting, but assuming that based on how they were playing, that that was what the first set was going to be like. And it wasn't to a certain degree. Um, for me, I loved the timber, um, the, the set really started for me at Foam. Um, I saw three songs in a row, Foam, Vultures, and Pebbles and Marbles. That I These were my third performance for all three songs. So very rare songs for me to see. Um, foam, I absolutely have, like I fell in love with that song all over again during season one of Undermine. Uh, I did a really great interview with Drew Hitz that went into episode four where he broke down foam. And I just found myself through the spring, just listening to like every version of foam that I could find just like one after another. I was just blown away by the song. Um, Pebbles and marbles round room is my favorite fish album. That was my first Pebbles and marbles since 2.0. Just a beautiful song. 
the lyrics, Tom wrote that about his daughter. I had a daughter earlier this year. So like thinking about her during that song, just added a different element to like the lyrics and like the enjoyment of it. Um, but then once they fade out of that, there's like a moment of silence and then Trey just rips into Carini and it felt right there. Like he kickstarted the weekend in a lot of ways. Like they were settled in, they'd played some rarities, they'd nailed foam. And now you get Carini expected it to end the set figured cool. We're in for like a 14, 15 minute version that will have a really good peak and then it will end. And instead fish decided Actually, we're going to start set too early. We're going to just going to go into a wild mind-bending jam. We're going to throw everybody off their axis, and then we're going to peak it. And suddenly, you know, welcome to Dicks. This is the end of set one. Right. I, I think uh, you use the word peak, uh, you know, in a tour full of, like, amazing extended jams. <laughs> this one goes right there on the pile. Um, we'll have to sort them out in the coming weeks, years. I don't know. But uh, this is a Many years. lovely, like, sectional jam multiple modulations and just a outstanding you know melodic peak uh and and a walk-off like a set closing yeah. carini like okay i mean i i set openers have been have happened a lot and everybody just knows you know hey, trey hits those chords i'm like yeah and we throw down uh to do it at the end of set two, one uh in the you know I, I i'm old so i think of it as like the antelope slot yeah and, uh you know, like, wow, they really, that was great. I, I, I loved it. Um, so let's talk about night two, or is it too soon? Or not, set two, excuse me. Let's talk about set two. Um, I'm jumping way ahead. Uh, Brian, uh, tell me tell me your thoughts here. Where where were you? Tell me about the dicks. Like, were you, were you uh, are you a stands guy? Are you a field guy? Or I'm a stands guy. Um, my my first year at Dick's was 2012, and we got stands tickets about two weeks before the, the show. My wife and I got married on August 25th, 2012, did a road trip through Wyoming, and ended up at Dick's. And we've always joked that that was our honeymoon. It, it kind of was. We, we were on the road during that period in time planning to go back overseas, and we, we just happened to be at Dick's that year, got stands. We're always page side, so we went in. We found this these seats in section 129, um, met really good people, had really great sight lines, really enjoyed the sound there. And outside of 2017, where I sat uh, towards the back of the venue, every other run that I've been at, at, at uh, Dick's, I've sat in the exact same section, section 129, right looking on. Always have great sight, great sounds. It's my favorite place in the entire venue, and it's my favorite venue to see fish. So it's right there with me with, um, I believe it's section 115 in MSG that's like right next to the stage, um, just like slightly behind where you can like see the lights go out in the crowd. It's just one of those places where like I just happen to get really good fish shows. So that's where we were posted up. Um, I felt like this second set was – Kind of like the first set in the sense that like it took them a few, a bit of time to get into it. It felt slightly unhinged and disjointed. Um, that said, once they, it sounded like there could have been some really cool moments in a song I heard the ocean sing, but Trey seemed to want to move out of that fairly rapidly. Once he got into Choctaw's Torture, it was this moment of like, we're at Dick's, we're playing one of those songs that when we play at Dick's, it just seems to connect. And he just seemed like a total rock star kicking off Chalk Dust Torture, knowing 
you know, it was almost like he could tell we're going to take this into a really cool territory. And it ended up in a fantastic 20 minute jam. Yeah. It, it, I have a hard time separating that chalk dust from what came after. So, uh, that is really where the set starts, isn't it? I mean, the, the first few songs, uh, first two songs are great, fine. And uh, I love a song I heard the ocean sing. I've only even seen it once somehow. I keep missing it. Uh, and yeah, you, you want it to go big. You think it could, but okay, not tonight. Then Chalk Dust. And that uh, is another 20 minute, uh, almost exactly 20 minute version yeah. here. And then into Beneath Sea of Stars, part one, which I think is finally gaining kind of the broad respect uh, of, of the fan base that it deserves. Um, this one in the Gorge version, I think, probably or why. Um, not that AC is a slouch, but uh, the improvisation inside that framework of that song is just, it's kind of dazzling. It's kind of just... It's not like anything else that Fish is really doing right. in the song. And I feel like that song has like, when, when I talk about like why I love how the ballads are played, I feel like Beneath the Sea of Stars is one of those songs that like they're playing it so often and so well right now that it it caters to, it like spills over into other performances where if they can play something that delicate and that weightless that well, it, it spills over into into like kind of softer, slower songs. I really don't want to be blasphemous here because I know I'm talking to the host of the Broke Down podcast, but the the initial appeal of Beneath the Sea of Stars for me was that it sounds like Trey is channeling early 70s Jerry Garcia. It's It's got that like, those licks that just kind of like roll off the stars and like land, you know, it's, it's like dust that he's playing in a sense. And it's beautiful. And the band behind him is almost playing nothing. And it ends up then in these very abstract kind of wall of sound type of jams that sound unlike anything else. It's almost unprecedented in what fish plays in, in their current, uh, you know, in, in the current structure of the band, um, but I just love it. I lo- love how the song has evolved. There was a great Mohican Sun version, and I really wanted it at Dick's 2019. I was so pleased to get it midway through the set, coming off of a phenomenal chalk dust. Like it couldn't have been placed better for for, for my taste of of that song. Yeah, they they find a little landing pad in the this this song, which has you know an actual song bit at first. Uh, not a lot of lyrics, but there's a, and then there's this framework that they work in, um, building their phrases and communicating and bouncing off one another in just a, a fairly different way yeah. than what they were doing five minutes earlier in that big chalk test jam. And, uh, yeah, it creates a delightful space yeah. and, um, I don't, I don't know how to compare it to Grateful Dead. I won't. So um, you go ahead and try. Um, <laughs> so on um, on Fish.net, I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little. You know, they go into light and they plasma. On Fish.net, they say they go back into chalk dust. Fish, live fish doesn't count it that way. Where do you fall? Does it matter? I personally, I think I would have it closer to where Live Fish has it. It felt like there were elements of, um, like, when, when they have it noted as, um, uh, they, they say here on Fish.net, 
plasma contained party time quotes and 46 days tweet teases. The second chalk does torture included plasma and a song. I heard the ocean sing quotes. Personally, I would have plasma containing all of that because it felt like that was all hyper connected to plasma rather than moving into chalk dust torture. I know that he did play the riff and they went into more of like the song structure of chalk dust torture than they did any of the other songs, but it felt like this kind of like, you know, evolving blob of plasma kind of held all of that within its song structure. I, li- I like the notion of plasma as an evolving blob. <laughs> I thought that this was the moment where like, you know, they'd played these two really great jams in Karini and Chalk Dust. And this was the moment where Fish kind of stopped searching during this show and just had fun. And, you know, Light has kind of taken a step down from being a significant jam vehicle this tour there there was a really great version earlier in the summer at, at nashville a really strong version but outside of that you know it really kind of seems to serve a purpose right now to be a um a stepping stone for segues and having it move into plasma which then references all these earlier songs and then you get a gym and a slave to, to close out the set it kind of felt like the moment where fish just was able to kind of step back and just like smile and enjoy the fact, you know, that they're at Dick's for the first time in two years and they've played, you know, relatively uh, high quality show here on a very strong tour. Yeah. And, uh, Jim slave to close the set three song encore. What's not to like, right? They're, they're ready. I think that's, that's the message, isn't it? They're ready. They're ready. And we, they, they were ready when we moved on to Saturday here. The, uh, is it going to be a Saturday night special or are they going to go deep? It's always the, the eternal question. And I think we got, you know, right out the gates, alumni blues, Jimmy page, alumni blues. I mean, it, it's, it's on par with like, um, a, a glide opener, although this is on the opposite spectrum of like the humorous side of fish, but an old school, very, very rare song to kick off a show there wasn't a single person when I looked around as they were open up with, with alumni who wasn't like either high-fiving or hugging or like jumping up and down. Like it was just one of those moments where the opener just connects immediately with the audience and everybody is already mid-show vibes at that point. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's a great one out of the gates. I really like this whole first set. Me too. Um, you know, it's just like one cool song after another. Yeah. Uh, great jamming in Blazon, of course. Uh, Ghost. And, you know, I'm skipping some stuff, but, you know, I want to get ahead to that David Bowie because they played a well, it was a well-played type one David Bowie. And it's been a while since I felt like I could just say that confidently in front of an audience and not have too many people blast me uh, for being overly optimistic or whatever. (laughs) I thought they really did it. They really, I mean... No big jam, I'm afraid, but uh, they really, I feel like, landed an excellent David Bowie for the first time in a while. Yeah, I was thinking about you during it because, you know, we've been, as as we've both been freaking out over the quality of stashes this tour, I think that we're both on the same page. Uh, I know that you are a big Summer 95 proponent, as am I, and the idea of a David Bowie getting the stash treatment in this day and age is just something that kind of gets, like... If that happens, it would be for me on the, on par with the Mike Second Jam from Nashville 2015, where um, I feel like it would break fish Twitter in some cases. I thought 
when they started it, you know, you're coming off of an incredibly strong set thus far. Uh, Blazon went into a very, very cool space. I feel like that is going to be one of those jams that in six weeks, someone, you know, who I follow on Twitter is going to be like, oh my God, has anyone talked about the Dick's Blazon? What a great underrated version. You know, it's just like stuck, stuck there in set one, uh, ghost tube similar in that sense, but they added, um, just some extra patience to the intro of David Bowie, which has had me so intrigued. And it was, it felt like the first time I, I, I thought it, and I, I'd have to run back and do the, do the numbers, but it, to me it was the most interesting uh, intro to David Bowie since 1228-2003 in Miami, where they really took their time opening up the run with that. Right. I don't, I don't have any dates in my back pocket on that, but it was, it was throwing me back. Yeah. And I tweeted something about it at the time that, you know, there's promise here yeah. that they're, they're going to do this in the intro of Bowie – I mean, that's look, my third show was Providence 94. So, and, and in the shows that I saw subsequently in the next year, I saw several other David Bowie's and they were all good. And so I'm spoiled. It's a fact. I'm straight up spoiled. So when I hear an intro like this, I'm thinking, holy cow, they're really, they're going for it. They're going for something. And what they went for is an outstanding type one, David Bowie. I felt like Trey was confident and strong through the, you know, the composed song, uh, the, the little, the jam in the middle of it was nice. It was what it should be, you know, at minimum. Yeah. And, and then the outro, they came right back to it and landed strong. I, I thought it in the moment, went back and listened, it's still held up. And it gives me hope that uh, Vegas is going to get the biggest Bowie in 18 years. Well, I was going to say, as you're mentioning that, like it's something we should be tracking over the next couple of weeks and, and, and should kind of, could be a cool little, like, uh, you know, like, it'd be a fun thing to observe as they move into fall tour is you see this happen every so often where a song is going to return to being a jam vehicle is the band testing out certain segments of it. It kind of happened with stash in early 3.0 where you would hear the band kind of test out, okay, can we take this for a few measures in this way and still get back to stash? And you're hearing that slightly happen. There was a really great David Bowie to close out the first set of um, the final show in Mexico 2020, which is, as I know, you know, doesn't count, um, you know, based, based, based on your <laughs> rubric, but you know, it was a great version and we've heard good placement for Bowie throughout the summer tour. And then we hear this version at Dick's that kind of slowly moves its way into the song before then playing a really t great type one version. Who knows what's going to happen, but it could be interesting to track to see if like the band is starting to kind of, you know, kick around in there and see if there is something that can happen. Um, but I, I think one of the differences, ahead. I'm going to jump in here. One of the differences between like the Mexico, which had a jam is that the, the framework for the song was not there. True. That's and, a good point. And people, people who I've talked with about this uh, uh, over the past couple of years, I think they'll agree with me that they got it this time. So yes, no big jam, but the framework is there. Right. And I feel like, you know, if you look at night one where they played foam, a really good foam, 
for the first time in a while, to be honest, uh, that gives them the comfort, that gives them the confidence, the positive self-feeling, whatever it takes, you know, to feel like, well, all right, now let's rip the doors off and so you get that Carini. Yeah. Um, I feel like nailing David Bowie, even though it's a set closer, that kind of sets us up. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. And it sets us up for potentially a future great David Bowie, but also as we moved into set two, this is the thing that happens in fish, you know, throughout fish history in 94 and 95. It was whenever you heard the hi-hat intro to David Bowie, you knew that something big was coming. Now you hear that kind of beta band type of groove that bring that kicks off. Everything's right. And you just know, okay, this is a song that the band is just fully confident jumping off into a jam vehicle for. And for me, we'll get into this when we talk about night three, but for me, the everything's right. This was my favorite jam of the entire weekend. Um, this got into a jamming space that I just seek out. Uh, it sounded, it was hypnotic. It was groove based. It didn't really need a peak nor flirt with one in a lot of ways. It seemed to just completely captivate the entire audience and there was a moment where, you know, that lighting rig just descended and it was like hovering over the band and they were locked into such a groove. You could kind of feel it just like pulsating through you and you could feel like waves of it through the crowd. And it was one of those moments where this roar just like erupted from the back of the venue and just took over. And it was, you know, one of those kind of like hot tip moments to fish of like, whatever you're doing right now don't stop. And they just kept the groove kind of extending for another 30 seconds as a result of it, which I, I will be listening to that jam extensively in the coming weeks, months, years. It's, it's one of those that will be an all timer in my mind. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a great one. I mean, they really, it, when they cross the 20 minute mark, you know, it's, it's arguably just, you, you realize that you, you've just, you're, you're, experiencing something grand and and i don't i'm not speaking about the specifically the music and at that moment i'm just saying that you know you listen to it and suddenly you're like wow this is really gone um it's it's everything's right but it's really four or five outstanding instrumental songs built into one long extended song and they're just masterful i i don't know we could keep <laughs> sit we're gonna because we're talking about all these different jams and it, it it's like they have the vocabulary to play six 20 minute jams that all sound different, but I'm not sure I have the vocabulary to talk about them all in different ways on this, in the same one sitting, right, right, right. <laughs> which is, which is something. <laughs> yeah. Um, they move into Fuego. I think the, the Fuego intro was, um, not right. Quite botched. Uh, uh, at the moment I was like, oh, okay. But it was really cool how they got there. Yeah. Uh, and, and Trey figured it out. Um, and then farmhouse, lovely farmhouse, quite, good break. Quite lovely farmhouse. Uh, Mercury. Um, I, I really like this Mercury. I messaged you to confirm that it wasn't crazy, but you know, around the 10 minute mark, you can definitely hear Trey and Paige messing with two versions of me. Um, so cool. It's just really cool. And, but and I thought they were going to go there, and they they didn't. Trey was like, oh, no, 
seven below. Right. Listen, here. It's right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of the uh, Magnaball 46 Days, which also has a really distinct two versions of me jam that um, it's a really beautiful just melody for them to get into. And um, I was just thinking about it. You know, we, we talked about it beforehand, but like you get this two versions of me jam and then he finds seven below. You get It's a very 2.0 feel uh, midway through the Mercury jam where they're moving into these kind of grooves from 20 years ago. Um I love Seven Below. I feel very fortunate whenever I see Seven Below. It's one of my favorite songs from that era. Um, I went a very long time without seeing Seven Below, so I'm always thankful for it. Um, If I could be critical for a second, I thought that the Mercury had a really, really great groove going. We could have potentially used a tease of Seven Below and then moved back into the jam. It felt slightly forced, and at that moment, the set kind of felt like it kind of came off the rails a little bit. Um, this second set was not my favorite set from the overall weekend. I think I would have it a little like lower in, in kind of my overall kind of ranking of where the sets went over the weekend. Um, I liked the little jam that came out of it, but I don't know if it necessarily like the mercury was just great. And that's it. Trey, (laughs) Trey had to, I mean, some transitions just happen, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Trey had to turn around and look at Fish yes. as he's playing the seven below riff, and Fish was like, "Okay, seven below." And okay, he playing now I play this. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, big. Uh, I'm going to say standard big. You enjoy myself to close the set. Uh, I love bold as love as an encore. Yeah, just takes me right back, right there, to my childhood. It. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, a really good one. Let's get into night three, Brian. <sighs> night three was a big one. Yeah, right? Night three was a big one. Um, you know, going into the show, wondering, <clears throat> are we going to... Like, what what's happening here with this run? We've had some really high highs. We've had some inconsistency here and there in terms of song selection, flow, pace. Felt like at that point, like we'd had one really, really good set on Saturday night one. And you're wondering, like, do they really have it in them for the tour closer? Like, what, what are we what are we getting here? Um, before we jump into it, I, I will just say out, out the gates, um, this is one of my favorite fish shows I've ever seen. I had a very incredible crew that I was with. I was with some of our Osiris brethren um, for the majority of this show, which was really fantastic to take in with them. Some of my absolute best friends who I've been seeing shows with for the last 20 years. And... Even in the one moment where I said, why are we playing this right now? I was proven wrong by the band. (laughs) Every other moment in the show, every song that was played, I felt like, yep, perfect song right now. Oh my God, amazing version. Perfect song right now. Oh my God, amazing version. And that just kept building throughout the entire show to the end when they were playing Santos and like, the refrain of you, you will always remember where you were just felt so fitting for that show. Just being blasted out from the crowd back at fish. Okay. So you're going to have to tell us what that one moment was, but not don't jump ahead. I won't unless it's the opener, (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) which, you know, when they, they opened with MoMA dance and it was cool. And then uh, McGrupp and I was like, uh Oh, they've already done the M show before. They're not going to do that to us. Um, but, uh, again, kind of like foam, I want to shout out a really well played McGraw. Very well played. Like, yeah. Um, 
Sand had a good, you know, micro jam into Sigma Oasis, which they stretched out a bit there. It's kind of nice to hear. Midway through Sigma Oasis, I felt like we were in a second set type jam. And it got dark. It got really uh, thematic. There was like a throbbing nature to what they were playing. And uh, I loved that jam. That's that's going to forever be – that's going to be one of my favorite jams of the whole weekend and the whole run. Yeah, well, it's, it's a good one. Um I'll tell you, uh, oh, I don't. I don't think I could. It, it, I, I said something to my wife. Uh, she was like, hey, "You're gonna help me with the trash because it's Sunday night and stuff's got to get done, right?" And I'm like, "I don't know, you know." They, they, yeah, they're playing sand. I'm not getting up during sand to go deal with the trash. It's like they're they're bound to play something I can, you know, I, I can comfortably walk away from eventually. And they go into Sigma Oasis. Sigma Oasis jam is out there and she's like well what about now it's like please no no way Uh, (laughs) and then uh and and so she i had to get up for all of these dreams not that i don't like all of these dreams but i had to get up and little did i know i I, there was an opportunity ahead where i I could have waited for but how did you feel about that drop into all of these dreams are you good with that i loved it i I, was that your moment no no i loved it i um it, it combined two things i absolutely love which are the ballads this tour and also round room and um, I haven't gone back and run the numbers, but I feel like we got like six different songs from Round Room throughout this this overall Dicks run, and um, I was really really pleased by that. Um, I I'd, I'd been hoping for one of my songs I'm chasing is Thunderhead. They haven't played it at all since 2003, I believe. I think December 1st, 2003. I would absolutely kill for them to bring it back. Um, so like, I, I don't even want to nitpick because I thought all of these dreams were so beautiful, but like. That was the the under my, or the uh, round room ballad, ballad that I was chasing. Uh, so then they played Reba, and I th- I thought it was a pretty good Reba. Um, the stream died at the Reba peak, and it was as if they that. just threw the toaster into the tub because it was just like, yeah, I, what? Yeah, I I I thought I died too. Um, and then it happened. To, it turned out it happened to everybody. Yeah. And so, as far as I'm concerned, Reba just kind of ended abruptly, and then the <laughs> and it set was over. Right? That's how it happened for you guys, right? Reba, they've been doing. I, I feel like there's a lot of confidence in Trey in the Reba solo, and he's not looking back at Fishman to say, "Okay, play the drum riff to end the song." And Fishman's just letting him kind of build and build, and it's this like very hosy feel to it. Um, I loved that Reba. Reba was a song I was hoping to get during the weekend. It's one of those songs I could hear at every single fish show. Um, and then bathtub gin to follow it up a huge classic right there back on the heels of, of Reba bathtub gin um, didn't necessarily go to the kind of crazy dark sonic spaces that it went to in deer Creek or Nashville or Atlantic city, but it found this, I don't know what key it was in, but it was in a slightly different key from the standard bathtub gin peak that peaked itself and just added another element to the overall uh, show before they moved back into the bathtub gin closing proper and thus closed one of the three strongest first sets I've ever seen. I was, I was absolutely blown away at the end of this. Well, I, I was gutted when when the stream stopped, yeah. I was angry Yeah, as, you know, as a consumer. Uh, and then, uh, and then I saw, Oh great. They're playing bathtub gin now. God damn it. Um, <laughs> uh, 
I want to I want to take a second. I, I listened to that gin this morning though, and it's it's great. Yeah. You're you're describing it well, and um, I need to spend more time with it. I'm still a little bitter, obviously. Um, I want to take a second and say that during the set break on Saturday and last night, stream came back in time for this. They ran a not short segment of Trey doing a rig rundown, and he went through every pedal. And as he did it, he built up a loop, and it is, uh, it was very entertaining to watch. Fun. Trey's just enjoying talking about his toys and his gear, yeah. and um, it's educational. Uh, if you've ever wondered where that particular sound Trey is playing is coming from, he tells you it's it's in there. It's pretty cool, and uh, I really hope everybody has an opportunity to see that. That was um, from the couch a real highlight of the whole thing. I mean, the music is astounding and has been great all weekend, but that was just like bonus, outstanding bonus. Um, so we have another set. Do you, do, you, do you think you can put words to this other set? <laughs> we have another set and, uh, you know, the, the, I, I don't want to say I was necessarily worried, but there was a wonder, do they still have enough in the tank for, for this final set of, of the summer? Um, quick side note, the, 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 the theory of, you know, can fish just play a great show at any time? Or are they holding back on purpose because they want to play these other songs? You know, it's, it's, I think it's something we could talk about. And I think there's, there's some, there's like a laughable nature to it because there's so much that goes into, you know, a great show. And, um, as I've heard, you know, and as I can only imagine if, if someone gets stuck in traffic or, or gets, you know, uh, you know, has, has a bad experience at the hotel or at a restaurant earlier in the day and they show up for the show, their heads in a different place than it would be on a quote, great show. And it may impact the music. There's so much that goes into having a great show that said the sound check before the show was a jam with Trey making up a song that was basically titled tonight's going to be the greatest or the best show of the tour. I know this because I can see the future. And he kind of sang that line over a jam. So perhaps he knew what he was getting himself into. I, I don't know, you know, may, you know, who, who am I to, to question Trey Anastasio in this, in this setting, but um, opening up with set your soul free felt, you know, kind of like the everything's right the night before. And the fact that this run doesn't have a mics, a tweezer, a down with disease. It's the first Dick's run without a down with disease um, in their entire time playing there. The fact that they're just putting these new songs on a pedestal and saying, do what you will in the same way that they did with tweezer and Bowie in the mid nineties and with ghost in, in, in 1997, 1998, and, you know, with 46 days and sense and subtle sounds and 2.0 and light in early 3.0, they're taking these songs that they know can go places and just saying, you have the preeminent slot of the show. Let's see what happens and set your soul free, turn into a phenomenal jam. I think, um, you know, uh, I don't want to, you know, nitpick too much. Like I think I, I think I overall enjoyed the everything's right slightly more, but I think the set your soul free got back to that place that made everything's right so special. Yeah, I mean another big set two opener. I know RJ says he likes the big jam and the number two slot after a ballad or whatever, but RJ is not here. So um well in sitting with RJ I can tell you that he enjoyed this in this slot. 
Oh, oh he, you he mean was, he didn't like he say, was, you know, they should have played. Uh... <laughs> he was 10, 10 feet, 10 feet above the ground the entire set. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean, it went big. It went big. It went out almost 20 minutes and it slides beautifully into the lonely trip. Yeah. Just man. Like, wow. That was nice call. Nice call right there. Um, nice song. Still, you know, melodically similar in my brain to um, after the gold rush. Oh yeah, but uh, but different, different yeah. enough. Yeah, uh, man, that's. A I, really I mean, great I think call. it's a vibe, similar vibe too. But um, but they uh, then simple, right? So I thought we were gonna get one of those like beautiful anthemic versions of simple. It was still early enough that it could have gone big and long, and um, I and and that would have been amazing. But instead of the like towering guitar licks and beautiful changes of the jam, they they went a whole other way with this short, weird jam, um, and it has this kind of funky white guy groove. And they uh, Trey starts singing catapult, and Mike jumps right in to his credit after the first line. Mike's like, "Okay, we're doing catapult on this." <laughs> and, uh, what where what were you thinking during this? I, I I really like to know what the band is, but was thinking, but we we can't know that. So what were you thinking? I was feeling a lot. Um, one thing I want to say um, before I jump into it, I um, this was my first completely sober fish run I've ever done. Um, I, I I quit drinking earlier this year, and I. Um, I've, I've enjoyed, I haven't had like too many challenges with the process, but I also like in, in the COVID world, I haven't really gone out and been in that position where it's like, Hey, this is the time to drink a beer and have a really good time. And so like I would, there was a slight worry on my behalf going into the Dick's run of like, am I going to feel this need to do this? I really want to stick with the, with the route I'm on right now. And I felt totally fine. I felt like I've recently discovered Topo Chico and it's like the greatest alternative. You have the bottle in your hand. It's got the right amount of fizz. But, but my point in saying all this is I was, <laughs> I sent a message to a uh, close buddy, Josh Carver uh, at Nola, Nola socks, big friend of the pod. And I said, I'm cold sober at this show and I'm on another planet. And like that experience of just like, and it happened during that simple where I just, I felt like I was, I was lifted off. Um, so I thought, as it was happening, this is where Fish Genesis meets Fish Frank Zappa. It's that like <laughs> 70s prog meets just like absurdist humor. Um, it sounded like they were playing like craft work. I mean, it was it was like this like German 70s groove to it that just like someone mentioned it here. I'll, I'll shout him out. Aaron, Aaron Lockwood. Can we ask the one thousand dollar question? Do you have I'm hooked up to a machine playing on a freaky, funky loop in their brains? Um, the second we got back to my house last night, we played this and the for the last now 12 hours, ever since people started waking up at my house, people just started like looking at each other and going, wah, nah, nah. Not, not, wah, da, da, da. Like it's, it's in there. It's stuck in my head. Um, the last thing I'll say, I saw Catapult at my second fish show, 7, 18, 2003. It came out of this phenomenal down with disease and was played over a psycho killer melody. I loved it then because one of my early fish tapes was seven sixteen ninety four. the, uh, the, the Catapult out of run like an antelope. 
but I know I didn't fully appreciate getting a catapult in my second show. I legitimately lost my mind when I heard Trey singing <laughs> the first line to catapult because it's, it's a song I've just been, I've been chasing since then. I, I I've wanted to feel that like weirdness in a venue and, uh, man, I just, I loved it. It was it, the, whatever I felt about this show, which I will say at the end of our breakdown here, it was completely solidified during this catapult. I just, I felt lifted off, lifted up above the ground. What, what did you feel? Oh man, I was baffled and thrilled. I will say, um, I, I don't want to spoil it, but in the uh, next second segment of the podcast with Ryan, which I just, I actually just had that conversation with him before we did this. He has a very interesting kind of take on what they're playing in the background and I can hear it. Um, but I wouldn't have jumped there myself. So, uh, everybody will have to get the podcast to hear that. Um, but I, I think it's just great, weird music that I just, I want, I want <laughs> that kind of weird music from fish. Um, it doesn't always have to sound like this. I just want them to be, yeah. you know, experimenting and creating. Um, and I just love Trey's like, focused effort to bring new sounds out of his rig uh, and find inspiration from those new sounds. And you're really, you know, hearing it in full flight here. Um, and then they, they started to play meat stick. And I'm going to tell you, I've said this before uh, on the podcast over the years. I don't love meat stick. It's not my favorite song. It's not one I hope to see. Um, but, they went right for the same flavor of weird that they had been working on prior to meat stick. They kind of went back there and, you know, started mashing meat stick into it. And that worked for me. I really dug it. And, uh, I mean, just this band, so weird, so good. Um, so, so we're on the same yeah. page with, with with what you said. I so so this meat stick was the, the one moment in the show where I was like, ah, really. I, so there was when I first got into fish, I thought meat stick was hilarious. I loved hearing it. It's got this good bubbly groove. It's a huge part of Big Cypress. And then I started seeing a lot of fish shows, and it seemed like there there was a run from I believe 2011 until 2018 where every single multi-show run I saw, two nights, three nights, four nights, whatever, at one venue, I always caught meat stick. And it just followed me around and it was it became a joke between me and my friends that like we're just waiting on the meat stick that's gonna come. And so we are beaming mid-second set. Every single one of us is just like hugging, high-fiving. Everyone's, you know, giving superlatives to the set. And then they bring on meat stick. And it turned into a pretty funny moment in my section where I had friends ragging on me. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to enjoy it. It's not my favorite song. I don't really find it funny anymore. And then they go into that crazy jam again. And, you know, another thought I had about the jam, this whole segment from simple to catapult to meat stick was this is Casvolt Voxed. Like this is fish covering Casvolt Voxed. This is like them playing in the laboratory in Greenland. And I loved it. I love the space that they were in. I love the start stop aspect of it. It just, it totally worked. And in hindsight, I'm glad they made, they played meat stick. And this is the show that will make me love meat stick. I think it finally happened. Well, I, I can't hate on what they did with it on this one. That's for sure. Correct. Um, and the, and then they uh, drop into Ruby Waves, mm -hmm. which, mm -hmm. you know, has been 
a big number at times. I don't think this one was huge, but it was good and pivotable. And totally. they literally pivoted at the end of this one and got into just a beautiful space that we w- might would call bliss jamming, but in fact, it was actually bliss. Yeah. <laughs> Second version um, ever. Right. So that takes takes that song out of my 100% club down to the 50% club. <laughs> Damn it. I'm right there with you now. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so are a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm, I'm just joking. Obviously, I'm happy everybody got yeah. to see it. I'm thrilled they played it into a really nice Billy Breathes. Like a really nice Billy Breathes. Beautiful. The only thing about this Billy Breathes is when it ended, I thought, well, what now? Right. What are the, we already had, I mean, is it time for Harry Hood? Right. No. No. It's most <laughs> events aren't planned and... And and to your point about Ruby Waves, like and, and what I was saying earlier with Everything's Right and Set Your Soul Free, I, I really love how they're giving these new songs a prominent place. And you got a really cool prominent spot for most events aren't planned. Um, I kind of figured when they started it, okay, looking at the time, this will probably end the set. Um, I think we're probably still a few performances away from most events aren't planned being able to really, you know, end a set in that sort of manner. And I think it was all for the better because the Harry Hood was absolutely stunning. The the closing peak was really nailed by Trey. It was one of those moments where he kind of was standing a little bit forward, knees bent, just like strumming as like aggressively as possible at the peak to the crowd. The the place was just like giving it back to him. It was, you know, it, it reminded me of the closing Harry Hood on uh, September 2nd, 2012 at Dick's as well, where perfect placement for Harry Hood after a really solid, really strong run after an incredible show. What else, you know, what else is there to say thank you to this experience than that moment in Harry Hood? Yeah, it's great Harry Hood. Um, but what else is there? Well, there's probably more. Come on. Come on. Come on. We that. set you up for that one. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was, that was terrible. And I want to apologize to everybody listening who's still managing to hang on here with us. The beauty um, of live TV yeah. is that we can't edit that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um yeah, I feel sorry for anybody who blew this up onto their TV screen. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, more, uh, more into Santos. I honestly great closing to the show, to the weekend, the tour. I know people don't love more. Uh, some people don't love more, but uh, I don't share that opinion. I think that it's just a joyous kind of statement to the band, from the band to the audience. To the world, I um, used to be one of those Santos people. I, I'll, I'll be honest. Joy. I, yeah. I used I used to not. I used to really not connect with the song, and I was listening to it only a few weeks back. And um, the line, I guess, it's never really over, even when it's over. Just like kind of hit me, you know. You know, like when when lyrics sometimes will just like hit you like a ton of bricks, and you're like, oh my god, I hear this song in a completely different way now. It reshaped the way that I heard yep. the song. And it made it sound much more personal. I, it, it felt initially to me like a grand statement on where we're at in society and, and in history and whatnot. And I liked it more on a personal level from my own perspective. And so hearing that in that place, because I hadn't seen it live since I really had like a moment of connection with it, it felt like the perfect encore slot. Again, two new songs that we've only been listening to for the last five years or so, and more, and Santos to close out the summer tour. 
I mean, that's typically your like, you know, Rocky top to tweezer reprise segment or, you know, contact a tweet, you know what, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the, the slot in the show where they say, these are two of our older songs that work in an encore, but no, here we're getting two new songs that work really well in the slot. And you, you'll always remember where you were, what a way to end the, uh, end the overall tour. Yeah. You know, uh, back to more real quick, I would say that the juxtaposition of a very personal individual perspective in the lyric with the big anthemic rock show sound is one of the strengths of that song. Yeah. Um, so uh, love that. And Santos, yeah, you'll always remember where you were, but also it's a rocker. It's such a, it's, it, that's what you want to leave them on, right? You want to give them a big rocker to send them on the road, send them back to their hotel, to the party bus, to whatever it is you got going ahead of you to wrap up your Dick's weekend. Um, and yeah, it's great, great closing to a really great tour. Really great closing. What else? We what? What else is there? <laughs> well, I want to ask you just a couple really quick questions here to kind of put this all into perspective. So we've done a deep, 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 deep dive on the last five shows. And I want to thank everyone. We're an hour twenty minutes into uh, our shows that we originally set as, hey, let's do twenty to thirty minutes. But but John, it's always great to deep dive <laughs> this with you. Um, I want to ask you, looking at the last five shows in isolation. Um, is there a specific set from those last five shows that you find yourself returning to or will be returning to? Yeah, I was going to say, I have, I'm not sure there's been the time to go back, uh, to most of these and I'm going to have to do a lot of that, but I kind of think that I, I think the second set last night, as well as the, um, Probably the second sets from Shoreline are my candidates. I'm not certain which one of these is the one. Yeah. Um, it might be the Lizard's Tweezer Miss You Piper 20 Years Later from Shoreline Night 2. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know. It might be one of these great first sets because they've been some really good first sets. Um, the first night, Friday Night Dicks. I don't have a concrete answer for you today. Ask me again next week. Um, yeah, we'll <clears throat> we'll jump back into this. Um, <laughs> but I, but what about you? Do you do you have one? I th I think either the second set from night one at, at Shoreline or the first set from last night, the, the night three at Dicks. I think um, those would be those would be my candidates. As like just press play, walk away. Don't ever think about you know the next. Uh, uh, don't 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 think about changing the music until the set is over. Type of thing. Um, I, I think that the beauty is that there are so many of those kinds of sets right here that yeah we're we're very lucky. Absolutely. Um, I think that we should probably decide, however, on what the jam of the week was. Uh, we have a lot to sift through here. I don't know if we've had this many deep twenty plus minute jams to uh, decipher. Uh, uh, throughout this tour. I mean, we've had a lot of jamming this tour, but do you have a pick for the, the jam of the week this, this week? I'm, I'm going to be that guy and just say it's the uh, cities from shoreline. I like that. I know you're like, Oh, I'm ready to nominate something from Dick's. I was just at these three great shows. 
with big jams, and Jonathan's going to vote Shoreline, and there's nobody else here to back one of us up. So. There's nobody here, so Except I think the, I'm going to, by default, the chat. I, I think actually I'm going to go with, with your pick here, because um, while I think that you know there are bigger, longer jams, and, and, and as I noted earlier, I haven't... I, 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 I haven't gone back and re-listened to it, but what I do recall, and I think the reason why you're accurate here, is there's a moment as they're leaving cities where Trey looks like he is in absolutely no rush to do anything other than play that groove. And that vibe is the reason why we got the Soul Planet, the Tweezer, Everything's Right, so on and so forth. It's... Whatever sounds, and I talked to Ryan from Trey's Guitar Rig about this yesterday, and we talked to Scott Marks about this as well. Whatever sounds they're playing with right now, new technology doesn't always work. And Fish is a band that will always be introducing new technology, and sometimes it it, it, it messes with their performance, and it messes with their playing. It has worked completely this summer. And watching him play that Cities, he just he hit whatever on his pedal board it created that synthesizer sound that he's been playing with and we're like deep in set one playing the first city since 2019 and it was like i don't have any place to go i don't have anything else i want to do i'm just going to groove on this and then it led into a great jam that moved into um uh moved into passing through so i i think you're right i think that even though it's not the longest jam it sets up what makes the rest of the overall uh show so great and, and week is so great. Yeah, it's been, I, I, I said it last week, I'll say it again, an embarrassment of riches. We just got so much, so much good stuff. I can't even fathom, like, this tour started in Arkansas, and there have been so many, so many great jams. Um, I, I, I don't know when I'm going to be able to properly ingest all of that. Almost like, you know, especially given that we only have so much time before fall tour starts. a city without its music. The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
everybody. Jonathan again. I am here with Ryan Seibert. Ryan uh, took the gorge off, but he did Shoreline and Dicks, and he's with us now. He is tired. Ryan, how are you doing? Uh, checking in from the Des Moines Terminal parking garage before I take off on the two-hour drive home. I'm, I'm haggard, but I'm hanging in there. Right on, man. Right on. Well, uh, I'm glad you could uh, take a minute to talk with me today about what you have seen. That's a heck of a five-show run. Tell me, uh, like, big picture. Big picture. What do you think? Where is where is this band? What have you just seen? Uh, they're they're not ready to slow down. Um, I went to the uh, Osiris live podcast Sunday, and there was discussion about how uh, sounds they're making might influence what they're going to play coming up in the fall because fall is a quick, you know, four, five, six weeks right around the corner. And uh, they are, they, I don't think they wanted to stop. I mean, I certainly didn't want them to stop, but heck, can't, can't go on forever, right? Right. I mean, Trey just seems fired up. Everybody else is clicking really well. It's, uh, it's man, it's, it's outstanding. Uh, do you want to jump in and talk about Shoreline here? Uh, oh, man, Shoreline was killer, man. I mean, just the, uh, the opening, that's, I've never seen Glide before. That was my first Glide. The, the oh, Colonel right Forbins of Mockingbird, that was killer. Um, the, I mean, we can't, I can't skip too far ahead without I, the Moon Age Daydream. I'm David Bowie. I got to see that Halloween. And then that monster, monster soul planet into the f- sweet final hurrah. Those 50 minutes were just out of sight, man. I mean, I did not expect for them to come out and blaze through that place the way they did. It's like, they took the time to give us something super special because we took the time to change our plans and make the extra effort to get to this location. It was phenomenal. Let's talk about that a little bit. Have you been to Shoreline before? I have not. That's uh, my first time there. I don't think I've seen any California shows actually before. Oh, wow. Well, uh, so tell me about what the, you know, I, I understand it was GA. Uh, they did sell more tickets, but it was still uh, limited capacity. If I if I've read correctly, I mean, what what did it what was it like in there? Uh, I think they sold about twelve thousand, if I remember the jam base skinny. Um, <clears throat> uh, first night, they uh, you know you showed up, you uh, were permitted to get a wristband based on you know how many people were in front of you, and that determined on whether or not you got to go into the 100s or the 200s. And uh, the ushers were very, very, uh, you know, lenient on letting us move around that first night. And then the second night, they uh, were kind of hard-nosed. There were pathways that were kind of like going up and down, you know, the sections in the middle. Uh, apparently, they wanted you to use the side entrances only so they could control the crowd a little bit better. But uh, it was uh, it was tight, man. I mean... It's a, it's a gorgeous venue. It's a, it's a great sloping amphitheater. Um, sound in there was killer. Spot behind the board where we were taping was awesome. Uh, I mean, I couldn't have asked for much better, but now I can kind of see where, you know, the, the house that Bill built, right? It's, uh, right. it's a grateful dead lore house. Yeah, it really is. And I, I, can't imagine, I, I can't imagine what it must have been like there in the 80s versus now. I understand, you know, it's neighborhoods around and they have an earlier curfew and things. But, uh, but Fish did not waste any time, which is kind of, I mean, it's just stunning. I did not stay up for these shows because they were midweek and West Coast and I almost killed myself watching The Gorge. <laughs> the weekend prior uh so when i got up and 
looked at the set list, I was like, oh, wait, how long is that? Holy cow. And I said to my wife, honey, they opened, they opened set two with Soul Planet. It was 47 minutes long. And she says, it's six in the morning. Right. <laughs> did, did they, uh, do you know if they've taken the uh, the first uh, video of the set two down? I mean, because that was up for Live's Fish, right? Yeah. Uh, last I looked, it was still up. So uh, I d- nice. don't don't hold the, don't hold me to that, folks. Um, Watch yeah. all you can, folks. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I'm gonna just jump ahead to the next night. So you figure, okay, we got the big, big, big song of the tour, probably right. The last night. So tonight they'll take it easy. They'll give you a songy show. They open with mics, and uh, and it's it's on. Right. Yeah. Mike's on Man of Separate yesterday, Avenue Malkinum, Wikipog. That was a, that was also a great way to start it. I mean, I made the comment, you know, not too long ago that I liked the fact that the Mike song had moved around, and then you get a you get an opener with it, and that was killer. Uh, Thread, I think I've seen Thread three times, and they've only performed at seven. Uh, my nice. super super tight business here, besides you know, seeing a, a second set over lizard, lizards that apparently didn't happen since like ninety. Um, but then also like, I know we, I know everybody's going to love the tweezer, but I, my bread and butter was that city's passing through Fluffhead. Yes. I'm yes. am a, I am a, I'm a, I'm a killer for that, uh, that passing through man. That, the, that song is like, it doesn't get a lot of legs, uh, out there. It's, I think it's only been performed three times now, but I dig it. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but you know, getting a, getting a harmony that you can kind of like sing along to, and it sounds like you're, you know, swaying through the jungle. I, I can dig it. Uh, yeah, I really do love passing through, uh, but also, you know, let's spend a little more time on that cities, just to say that this was, this was the thing for me. I I was all about it, talking about it on Twitter um, the next day, and yeah, unquestionably love the tweezer, but to me, that cities jam is like one yeah, of man, the top they, they, things they, they, that they've ever done. They and, took. They, yeah, they took it for a spin, man. It was uh, it was groovy. It was funky. It was in the pocket. It was uh, a solid, like, California groove, man. I'd, I can't get more behind that. It's like 16, 17 minutes uh, yep. and sweet drop into passing through and then, you know, a killer fluffhead. Who doesn't love a fluffhead for a first set closer? Right, right. You know, and then the tweezer was big. That was <laughs> it was amazing. And a beautiful, if I may say, transition into Miss You. A nice build, yeah. Not too fast uh, into Piper, uh, and that whole, yeah. and then twenty years later, that I mean, that whole passage is so great. Yeah, man, it was uh, it was delicate and, and and intricate, and it was all the things that you wanted it to be, you know. And I remember somebody else saying that. Uh, they're nailing all the ballads. You know, it's like you yeah. want them to come out there and keep it groovy and funky and 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 spacey, but when they can nail a ballad and nail it really, really well, and it, everybody's quiet, and to get to enjoy that peace and, and and beauty that comes off the stage, it's really nice. Yeah, Brian uh, Brinkman has been saying that, and he probably already said it on this week's podcast. But <laughs> and and it's true, yeah. it's so true. So let's uh, jump ahead and talk about Dicks. Let's talk about Colorado. Three great, great nights. Uh, I know I I I. I just spent some time talking about it for the the video and the podcast and stuff so i really want to hear your take is this your have have you been to dicks before i think this is my sixth dicks 
Nice. Uh, yeah, that seems like a pretty solid number in my brain right now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, man, it's 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 got that friendly confines vibe to it. You know, you show up, and you kind of know what to expect. Show up early for the poster line, get get through with that hassle. Show up early for the gate line, get through that hassle, and then once you're in there, you're you're in it to win it, man. And I mean, the the sets were nothing lacking of killer. You know, the uh, the opening forty six days party time steam Jerry, uh, and then foam vultures pebbles and marbles Carini. I mean that that first set alone was like almost all killer no thriller. Yeah, <laughs> or did that come off right? <laughs> I think so. Uh, yeah, well, we'll figure out how it looks in the edit. I, I honestly, right. I really dug that set. Um, that Carini uh, and Foam were my highlights. Foam was really well executed. Yeah, second second Foam of the tour, man. Yeah. And uh, and really, the Carini was huge. It was, it was another of my yeah, you uh, know, top pieces. I wasn't a super big fan of Carini uh, before this year, but... Man, that song has just like got some some ways and grooves that it, I've never seen before. You know, most versions this summer have been like at least 12, 13 minutes plus. So, I I have not been disappointed with the Carini having a lumpy head. Yeah, Carini Carini's got legs. Um, uh, set two on Friday night, pretty straight ahead startup, but they get out there. Uh, Chalk dust really opens up. Uh, to talk to me about that set. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I think I read, uh, you know, in one of the reviews that they have not missed a chance to play Chalk Dust at Dicks, so it never disappoints. And then um, the more I hear "Beneath the Sea of Stars," I get that song, man. It's beautiful. Uh, the uh, the plasma later in that second set where they have the callback to uh, "You Always End Up Where You Start" and having those teases back there. That's a uh, that's something like very, you know, what, what they kind of did at uh, Deer Creek Night 3 where they just keep throwing around these song ideas and uh, see what sticks, you know. And it, it was fun. It's fun. Make me giggle. Uh, and then a killer, you know, killer, the slave, and then you close it out with a three-song encore, which included a good time, bad times. I mean, it was rocking. Dix, Dix was rocking. They knew what they were getting themselves into bringing it back for Friday. Yeah, that was uh, just a great opener for the weekend. And then Night 2... Uh, they come out blazing as well with just great songs, great songs, great songs. What were your takeaways on night two? Oh, yeah. Dude, the, the alumni Jimmy Page, alumni to open. I mean, that was killer. The the Turtle in the Clouds dance moves are fun. Uh, another, you know, 12-minute blaze on. Uh, I'm not sure what prompted the cool it down. It wasn't that hot, but it was fun. <laughs> you know, another big ghost, another killer, like, undermine, too. But David Bowie, it's... An, it, these first sets have been, you know, something to reckon with, man. They come out and, and slay, and then what are you going to get for second set except for, you know, like, you know, the experimentation part of fish. But, yeah, man, I'd just killer, killer, killer stuff. I wonder if maybe Cool It Down was a response to the blaze that preceded it. Um, I don't know. That's a bad joke, but uh, I'm going to leave it in there for everybody. Sorry, folks. Um, oh, no, it's all good, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, set two, Everything's Right was the big big jam but i think the mercury was really kind of my favorite yeah i'm surprised we didn't see more mercuries this summer and you know it was kind of short you know it was only about you know eight ten minutes and it drops really well into uh where is that seven below that kind of threw me off i think that's my first seven below and uh it was good, man. They like that's the thing about these jams is that when they nail that transition, it's so silky smooth. You're like, oh yeah, that's what that there. There's that song again. 
Uh, drift while you're sleeping, I'm getting more used to, and, you know, a big yem to close it out on a, on a night, too. One of those second sets where I don't know exactly what I was thinking about at the time, but it just seemed to, like, gel in my brain that it was a good show, even though I don't know if I liked all the songs, you know? Right, it all came together one way or the other, you know? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I get that. You know, it, it's easy to look at a show, like a set list on paper, and make a decision and say, well, I don't really love this song, but this song's probably cool. But when you're in it and you hear it, and it's, it's songs that, again, you maybe don't love on paper, but they can really they hang together well, and it can really make for a good time. Oh yeah, man, hundred percent. That's it, it's really the feeling of like when you're when you're committed to loving something so much that you just forget about you know what makes those songs feel a certain way in your brain. But yeah, man, it's the cosmic goo that is fish when they come out slaying and nailing <laughs> notes. It doesn't really matter if that's a good song or a bad song at the time. It's it's what they're playing. Yeah. So uh, let's wrap this up with night three. Last night. Uh, have you slept at all, by the way? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, got got a few hours here and there, but I once again, I did stay up all night to make sure I didn't miss that plane. Den- getting out of Denver was a mess. I mean, I'm looking at Facebook again, and everybody's having trouble, so... Yeah, it's uh, still yeah, a mess. Yeah, I mean, night three was, uh, you know, no, no slouch either. Mama Dance, dude. Mama Dance has been, like, a song that's... I love, but at the same time, every time they play it, I was like, oh, yeah, that's groovy. And then right. have as an opener, oh, McGrupp, dude. That was my only second McGrupp, but it's rarely played anymore, I think. Uh, Killer Sand, Sigma Oasis got out there and took like 12, 13 minutes, uh, which was interesting, you know. I didn't expect that from Sigma. And then all these dreams, uh, you know, another killer ballad that they nailed. Uh, you know, Reba, I guess that's only maybe the second or third time Reba's made an appearance at Dick's, so it's well welcome. And then A Killer Gin to close it down. I think that's, what, seven songs? Yep, seven song first set. Yeah, uh, really nicely executed McGrupp, I just want to say again, because um, I'm probably going to keep saying it. That was yeah, really, it, it's really like nice. if they, they, I think they, they might have practiced that one a couple of times before they brought it out on stage. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then set two, so I... I, I I'm not on no sleep, but I did stay up late to watch all of this. And what a what a oh, great, yeah. great closer of a set. Like, they came out, laid out the fire, played some good ballads, mixed it up. But it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't one of those straight-up mashup sets that some people don't love. They just, you know, nicely called things back and... Man, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm talking about it. I want to hear your thoughts about it. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I'm, I'm lonely trips growing on me. I thought Simple would have been bigger, but there was that groove that came out of uh, Simple right into Catapult that sounded a lot like this uh, song called Sharon by a dude named David Bromberg, uh, who got it kind of popularized, we'll say, in our community uh, from Widespread Panic. And, I mean, I don't even know if they were pl- they knew they were playing it, but it's, it's that funky, like, Three, so, three notes in a row, and then a bump, and then oh yeah, it was it was killer. My first catapult, which was really interesting, um, and having fun with it too, into the meat stick, and throwing around those ideas of uh, the uh, the referencing other songs while you're doing it. You know, Ruby Waves was didn't seem super long to me. I did not know this song Bliss, but uh, I'm trying to kind of figure out where that placement is. It seems like it's about a minute or two long before Billy Breeze. 
exactly um, most right. events yeah. aren't planned nailed it i'm sorry billy breeze nailed it you know another ballad that was just laid in there but it was beautifully done and uh a killer hood to, nail, to bring it home man yeah really great and then they you know trey has you know something to say he tells us he sings us more and then they just rock out with say it to me santos which um I don't know. When they first started playing that, I was not sure that I wanted it to be a regular rotation song, but I can't deny it. It's just, it's a good, fun-ass tune. <laughs> Moore's definitely grown on me just because, you know, it's where we are in life right now. We got to we gotta take stock of, like, everything that's around us and, and really, you know, put in put our love where we want it and then to bring it home with that Santos. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. I think I think we're all going back to work because we owe, you know, or hi ho. <laughs> I don't know which one it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe both. Um, right. Yeah. So hell, hell of a run, hell of a summer tour. Um, I'd like to uh, check in with you again after you've had some sleep and some time to process and see if you uh, <laughs> have uh, can can you know give me some sort of summary of the summer tour at large uh i mean you saw oh yeah man i I, i'll have to i'll have to sit back and actually look at the tapes again but i mean it was a summer of what was it new pedals space jams um with the 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 re-emergence of 20 to 40 minute songs yeah i i will definitely love to talk to you about this again (laughs) yeah well we will check in uh ryan uh get home safely get some rest And uh, thank you so much for joining me here on HF Pod. Thanks, Jonathan, very much. I appreciate it, man. everyone i'm hal schwartz and i'm flynn mcclain together we host none but the brave a podcast dedicated to the music and career of bruce springsteen bruce and e street band are on tour right now for the first time in six years and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes we've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests including rock journalist warren zanes and stephen hyden backstreet's magazine founder charles cross and barstool's kirk menahan if you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! 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 
The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.